Well, um, I don't know how many of you are parents. I am a parent, uh, and I got two kids. I have a soon-to-be 15-year-old and then an 11-year-old. And I got to tell you, I thought that when my kids were younger, that when they get past a certain age, that it was going to be just smooth sailing. And then the teens hit. Holy cow, my daughter's taking driving classes this summer. It's just, oh my goodness gracious. Uh, gray hairs, even just this summer. I remember, um, I remember when my daughter was two years old and we were doing the transition from the crib to the, uh, the toddler bed, if you've ever done that. And that's, that was nerve-wracking, I remember. And I set up this long pillow on the bottom of the bed so that if she rolled out, she would hit the bed or the pillow and not the ground. And so I put her to bed and made sure everything was good. And we had the baby monitor so that we could hear everything in our room, too. We had that all set up. Everything was rock solid. And I go to bed, and I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I am just in a panic. Like, I'm just thinking something's wrong. And so I go to my daughter's room. Now, it's, it's dark, right? The last thing you want to do uh, is, is wake up your kid when they're 2 years old because then nobody sleeps. And so I open up the door, you know, quietly, softly, and it's, it, it's dark, so my eyes are adjusting, and I walk slowly up to the bed to make sure Callie, my daughter, is okay, and I look in, and she's not there. I mean, that was a little disconcerting, but, I mean, it wasn't something that would cause me to go running, right? But she wasn't there, so I'm like, huh, well, where is she at? So I started looking around the room. I didn't want to make any noise. I didn't want to call her name or anything. I wasn't going to turn on a light because I didn't want her to wake up. So I'm looking around dressers and cabinets, looking behind uh, toys and, and, and stuffed animals, and I, I can't find her. So then I'm thinking, oh, I don't know why she'd be in the closet, but I'll, I'll look in the closet. So I open up the closet, and I'm looking inside the closet. Again, nobody. I mean, she can't be seen anywhere. So then I'm starting to think through my brain, and I, I'm like, okay, well, the door was closed, and I know that she can't, like, do that yet. At least I haven't seen it. So she didn't leave the room, the window. So I go over to the window because, of course, I start thinking maybe somebody took her, but the window's closed, and it's locked. Now the baby monitor, right? My wife wakes up in the midst of this, and she hears me kind of huffing and puffing and moving about the room, and her curiosity is peaking because she's wondering what in the world's going on. And I, in the midst of all of this, not being able to find her in the room, she's not in the bed, she's not anywhere in any of the corners, she's not in the closet, she couldn't leave the room and the door was closed, so she didn't leave the room and nobody took her because the window was closed and locked from the inside. And so I surmise the only logical conclusion, aliens took her. I was 100% convinced that aliens took my daughter. You put two and two together, that was the only explanation. And I'm literally about to run out of the room screaming at the top of my lungs to my wife, aliens just took my daughter. Now, before you worry about my sanity or anything like that, all right, I heard a whimper. It turns out my daughter fell out of the bed just as I was thinking she might hit the pillow, and rolled underneath the bed. 
And that's where she <laughs> fell asleep. Oh, man, when you're a parent, fears and anxieties, they abound. But it's not just limited to parenting. Fears and anxieties exist in our lives almost on a perpetual basis. And what I want to address here today is, is the fact that our households are in a state of desperation. And when I say desperation, and really when I say households, what do I mean by that? It's not just, yes, it's marriages. Yes, it's families. So sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, moms, dads. But it's also aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and grandchildren. It's also friends. You have friends that I'm sure you think of as family. I do. It's also neighbors. It's also our church. These households are in a state of desperation. And you know what? These last 17 months have not helped at all in that regard, have they? Many relationships are in a state of desperation. And fear and anxiety is a large contributor to that. It can cause us to sabotage, to damage, and to alienate those around us. And so you've been given a piece of paper with a triangle on it. It looks just like this. I want you to hold it so that the, that the wide part is on the top. Now, if you, if you didn't get a triangle, a piece of paper like this, could you raise your hand? Because I want to make sure everybody gets this. Marilyn, could you grab these and hand them out? Thank you so much. So we're going to make sure you get these. Um, when she comes back in, I'll have you raise your hand again. But as you're holding this, what I ask you to do is there's pens in front of you. I want you to write down, raise your hand if you didn't get a triangle. Marilyn has some copies there. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to write down inside of this triangle, inside of this triangle, all those things that are causing fear and anxiety in your life. I want you to write down in this triangle all those things that are causing you fear and anxiety. Now, it could be something small. It could be something significant. One over here too, Marilyn. Thank you so much. <laughs> but all the things in your life that are causing you fear and anxiety, write that down inside that triangle. And as you're doing that, and don't worry about this, by the way, you're not going to write your names on this. Uh, well, you're not going to, you are going to write your name. <laughs> you're not going to turn it in. No one else is going to see it. I promise you that. And as you're writing those things down, I want to tell you this. Anxieties and fears, they largely come from two different sources. They come from things that have happened. And those can be called uh, fears of being found out. Fears of something coming to the surface. A fear of something from your past. Maybe something you did. Maybe something you said Maybe something that was done or said to you. A fear of that catching up with you at some point. That's one source. Another source that these fears and anxieties come from is what can be called a, a fear of what's to come. Anxieties, fears about what's looming or the possibilities, the what ifs, right? 
those pictures, those, those things that we imagine could be coming for us down the pike. So hopefully you've written all those things or a few of those things um, inside of that triangle that are causing fear and anxiety in your life. Now what I want you to do is there are three fill-in-the-blanks on that triangle. There's two at the top and one at the bottom. The two at the top, I want you to write the words anxieties and fears. Anxieties and fears. That represents all those things that you wrote inside that triangle. And on the bottom, I want you to write your name. And then I want you to visualize, I want you to look at this triangle as you've now written these things and you've filled in those blanks, anxieties and fears, and then your name on the bottom. And I want you to see how anxieties and fears interact with us. That anxieties and fears, that they come, they come paraling down to us Oppressing us, the weight of our anxieties and fears are so large and looming as they are focused and oppressing our lives. I mean, that looks like that looks like an incredible amount of oppression there, doesn't it? The feeling of our fears, the feeling and experience of our anxieties, they mount and they oppress us and we can feel overwhelmed. But here's an interesting thing. When, when you turn that triangle upside down and it looks like this instead, we see anxieties and fears, those things that once were oppressing us, they, we see them now at the bottom and we've risen above them. So how do we, how do we get there? How do we rise above our anxieties and fears? Well, what do our anxieties and fears do to us? Well, the, the first thing that they do is they cause us to fix our eyes on things that we are anxious and fearful about. And it seems weird that we would fix our eyes on our anxieties and fears. You would think that we'd want to look the other way. But we can't, and we wonder why. Why can't we stop fixing our attention and our gaze on these things? It's because we were created, literally created, by the Almighty, the creator of all things. We were created to fix our eyes on something or someone. And our fears and anxieties, they become the placeholder of what it is that we're naturally, instinctually created to do, fix our eyes, and it creates a haze in our lives. But what God wants to do is replace that haze with praise. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do you know how you replace your fix, your, the, the focus of your eyes? Do you know how you replace that with God instead of your fears and anxieties? You replace that by giving God praise. You replace that by giving him thanksgiving. 
Another thing our fears and anxieties do to us is they produce a response where we desperately hold on to them. Again, that just seems so antithetical, doesn't it? Why, why would we hold on to our fears? Why would we hold on to our anxieties? You would think that the very first thing we do is release our hold of those things. But here's the deal. Just like our fix, how it is that we fix our eyes, we are instinctively, naturally created to hold on to something or someone. And that, that, that need to hold on to something and to hold on to you know, someone produces reactions and responses for us from us where we hold on to our anxieties, where we hold on to our fears. We don't want to. We want to let go of those things. But because we have to hold on to something, we keep that grip secure. But in Psalm 56, verse 3, it says this, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. So how is it that we release the hold of our fears and anxieties? We can't just let go. Rather, we have to hold on to something different. In Psalm 18, verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. And so I wouldn't do today justice if I just simply said, let go of your fears and anxieties. That wouldn't mean anything to all of us. It might sound good. It might be something you can write down on a piece of paper or maybe make an Instagram story about, but it's not the answer to just simply let go. You have to replace your hold. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to get rid of your fears and anxieties by shredding those pieces of paper in this shredder. And then, because we can't just let go, we have to replace what it is that we're holding on to, you're going to come up and you're going to take one of these rocks, has a cross on it, as a reminder, as a symbol of our desperate need to hold on to the rock that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Letting go of our fears and anxieties and instead grabbing hold of the rock that will never fail us, that will never let us go, but is forever true, ever faithful. And so as you feel led, you just simply come up to the this table, put it in, and grab a rock. Let's do it. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screw Tape Letters. It's a famous one that I'm sure some of you have read. And in the screw tape letters, there are two characters. There's screw tape himself and then Wormwood. And it's written from the perspective of these, these uh, demons who are 
uh, screw tape is, is trying to mentor Wormwood and um, uh, teach him how to uh, undermine uh, human beings and to uh, keep their eyes off of God. And there's one thing that Screwtape says to Wormwood that I think is appropriate to what it is that we're talking about here today. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against God. He wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Honest moment. This last 16 months has sucked. It's just been hard. And it's still hard. And if you're like me, which... I hope that you are. <laughs> uh, it can be exhausting. And circumstances can generate worry and fear, um, anxiety, anger, resentment. But we don't keep that to ourselves when we experience that. <laughs> We like sharing our worry and anxiety and fear and anger and resentment with those around us. And we do that at the detriment of others and to ourselves. And it's easy to fixate your eyes and it's easy to hold on to these things, right? And here's the deal, it's going to happen. It's not, just, it's not just central to what's going on now or the last 16 months. I mean, anxiety and fear, these are things that are going to rear their ugly heads in your life and my life, you know, for years to come. There's no getting away from that reality. So it's not about whether we resist or stay away from anxiety and fear. Rather, it's how we respond to it when it happens. Will we hold on to those things? Will we fix our eyes on those things? Or will, will we instead hold on to the rock that will never falter, that will never diminish Will we focus on the king who deserves our honor and our praise? We can't afford to have desperate households. We gotta lay down our swords. We have to instead endure, persevere for the benefit of the cross and those that desperately need to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We cannot hoard the gospel. But we have to share it and live it. Francis of Assisi, what did he say? 
He said, preach the gospel wherever you go, and if you have to, use words. Are you preaching the gospel? Are you living the gospel? Well, I would venture to say that where it starts is to hold on to the rock. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I don't pretend to have all the answers, and I certainly feel like I fail more than I succeed. But that doesn't fill me with despair. That actually gives me a great sense of hope. Because I know that in and of myself, I cannot save myself. No one in this room can save themselves. So if we can't save ourselves, what hope is there? No, we have hope. There is a God, and we're not him. We're not you. Lord, you are beyond our comprehension. You are transcendent, Lord. But yet you are not beyond our reach. You make yourself available, accessible. You pursue us when we couldn't pursue you. You are a rock that will never falter, will never fail, will never diminish. You are the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so, Lord, I pray that for myself and for everybody in this room and for those watching, that we would hold on to that rock for all we're worth. And I pray that we would fix our eyes on the Savior, on the King. That we would never forget. But we would live our lives in such a way that would cause others to see you. We thank you for today, for the chance that we have to learn and to grow, to move forward with hope. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. I love you all. Talk to you soon.